A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you joined me on the program today. We are going to be talking once again about these uh, new rules for uh, credit card companies in terms of uh, identifying sales at gun stores. You know, yesterday we talked with the National Shooting Sports Foundation's Mark Oliva about what this new rule means, what it does and does not do. Uh, but we are seeing more reaction here uh, and a lot of concern over the potential for a backdoor gun registry. But this is something that uh, Mark Oliva spoke about yesterday. Not a comprehensive list of every gun owner out there, uh, but if you buy a firearm and you use a credit card to do so, uh, yeah, gun control advocates would like to know about that, right? Uh, and as we discussed with Mark yesterday, the current um, uh, uh, listing that was announced over the weekend, right, this new category code for purchases at gun stores still does not allow these credit card companies to, uh, I think uh, Mark described it as uh, to look inside the cart, right? So they'll know and they'll identify, okay, this was a purchase made at a gun store, but they won't know, hey, Cam went out and bought you know, this particular rifle and this much ammunition, which, of course, is what gun control activists ultimately want. Ultimately, of course, gun control activists don't want anybody to be able to use their credit card to buy firearms because they don't want us to be able to use cash either or Bitcoin or anything else. They, they don't want us to be able to buy guns. And anything they can do to uh, try to make that more difficult is a win in their books. Uh, this is being uh, 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 sort of uh, proclaimed as a step towards public safety. We've got a, a quote from Shannon Wasp. We'll share with you in a couple minutes. But at Newsweek, uh, Thomas Massey, Republican congressman from Kentucky, and Dr. John Lott, head of the Crime Prevention Research Center, have an op-ed out talking about the uh, the devil in the details, frankly, uh, of this proposal and why it will not do what supporters say it will, right? That Again, that this is supposed to somehow crack down on violent crime because it's going to allow law enforcement to identify potentially suspicious purchases ahead of time. I guess they're going to have to get reported by these credit card companies. It means the credit card companies themselves are going to have to try to determine what is or is not a suspicious purchase. And as Dr. Lott and Representative Massey point out in Newsweek, Gun buyers who use credit cards have already passed background checks to see if they can legally buy guns. So what suspicious activities could credit card companies possibly look for? Is buying two or three guns evidence of suspicious activity? The majority of mass public shootings since 1998 used only one firearm. Do you look for people who buy AR-15s? Happens to be America's most popular rifle. Put aside that even the Associated Press now recognizes that these aren't, quote, weapons of war and are no different from other hunting rifles. Only rarely do public mass shootings involve rifles or uh, and no other type of firearm. Uh, should we be suspicious if someone purchases a couple hundred rounds of ammunition? They wonder. People can easily use that many rounds at a shooting range in an afternoon. This is a legit concern, by the way, that you're going to have people who not only don't know about gun ownership, but are hostile to gun ownership being the ones to determine whether or not a particular purchase is suspicious. Now, again, keep in mind, under the current standard that was just announced over the weekend, you're not going to be able to peer into the cart. So you're not going to be able to say, well, it's an AR-15 purchase. That's what's going to trigger it. It's the purchase of uh, more than two guns at a time. That That's what's going to trigger. That's what's going to be suspicious. 
because uh, these credit card companies still aren't going to have uh, they're not going to have that 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 detailed knowledge, right? The code will say, all right, this was a purchase done at a gun store, but they still can't peer into the cart. So as Mark Oliver was talking about yesterday, if somebody goes out and spends several thousand dollars getting ready for duck season, right? Because they got to get new waiters. They got to maybe they want a new uh, shotgun. Maybe they need to get some new ammunition. All that's going to show up uh, as far as the credit card companies are concerned is that, you know, Joe Blow spent $3,500 at a gun shop. So really, the only thing that they can use right now to flag something as suspicious is the total price tag. And then it becomes a question of, uh, okay, well, well, what's that magic number, right? Is it $1,000? Because that's going to encompass many rifles and some handguns as well. Uh, $2,000, $5,000, $10,000. I mentioned yesterday, when somebody buys a $40,000 boat at Bass Pro, yeah, it's going to come up as a $40,000 purchase at a gun store. Is that going to be flagged as suspicious? Probably. Which is why I said uh, when writing about our interview with Mark Oliver yesterday that this is likely to lead to <laughs> way more red herrings than legitimate red flags. But even if you, even if you were to take the next step that these gun control groups will be demanding, and to open up the cart, so to speak, so that these credit card companies can look inside, say, ah, Joe bought an AR-15 and a SIG P365. Well, that's suspicious. Even if you do that, what is to determine what a suspicious transaction is supposed to be? Dr. Lott, Representative Massey, point out, you know, most of these cowardly killers have used just one gun. Uh, there occasionally uh, might be an instance of, uh, I think there was uh, uh, the Pulse nightclub killer uh, spent about $26,000 on credit cards over the uh, uh, couple of weeks before he carried out that attack. Now, could this maybe have identified uh, that individual as a uh, somebody who's, you know, buying a lot of dangerous things? Maybe. But it still wouldn't be evidence of a crime. So it's still unclear to me what law enforcement can actually do with this information. As Representative Massey and Dr. Lott write, uh, despite what people see on crime shows like Law & Order, gun registration doesn't help law enforcement solve crimes. Police and jurisdictions from Hawaii to New York that have had registration for decades can't point to any crimes that they've been able to solve because of the law. Even entire countries such as Canada haven't had success. If guns are left at a crime scene and are registered to the person who committed the crime, it's possible to trace the gun back to the criminal. But guns are virtually never left at crime scenes. And in the few times that they are, they aren't registered to the person who committed the crime. So why, they wonder, do Democrats keep calling for a costly policy that does nothing to reduce crime? Why do they insist on knowing who owns which guns? It's a good question. Now, there are a couple of potential answers, right? They... I want to know who owns those guns so they can go round them up at some point. That could be a bad idea on multiple levels, but maybe that's the case. But it could also be that this is less about knowing who owns the guns, given that the system that was announced over the weekend is not going to actually allow that. And again, this is more about denormalizing and delegitimizing the firearms industry and gun ownership in general. I think it is, listen, it shouldn't come as a shock that gun control groups are angry 
about the fact that over the past couple of years, we've had millions of new gun owners. That, 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 that's completely antithetical to their agenda. They want fewer guns in the hands of fewer Americans. They made no bones about that. Meanwhile, we've had record-setting gun sales in 2020. 2021, sales down slightly from the year before, but still well above the historic norms. And again, millions upon millions of first-time gun buyers. And so I think that that has led a sense of urgency to this five-year-long effort to try to get credit card companies to act as a uh, sort of a de facto gun control group. Because they know that things are trending in the wrong direction for the anti-gun ideology. They know that more Americans are embracing their right to keep and bear arms. They are well aware, obviously, of the Supreme Court's decision, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which said, yeah, not only do you have the right to keep a gun in your home for self-defense, you have the right to carry a firearm in public in self-defense as well. And this is, I think, given, again, new urgency to these efforts to delegitimize and denormalize gun ownership. So what do gun owners think about this? Well, in uh, Indiana, uh, one local station, I believe this was a WISH TV, went and spoke to a, a local gun store owner, uh, the uh, head of Premier Arms, uh, Bryce Curry, who said that uh, roughly 80% of his store sales happen via credit cards. He says that number's actually gone up in recent months. He says we've seen more people making purchases on a credit card, even splitting it up on more than one credit card. And that's, again, no surprise. Because, well, thanks to Bidenflation, everything's gotten more expensive. People are living. People, people, let's put it this way. People who weren't living paycheck to paycheck are now living paycheck to paycheck. People who were living paycheck to paycheck are now hoping to make it to the next payday. Right? And yet... If you need a firearm for self-defense, if you're worried about, I don't know, increased crime in your neighborhood and you want to be able to protect yourself and your family, and again, you are on a fixed income or a limited income, you're struggling to pay the bills, you're trying to figure out you know, what, what to do every month, guess what? You need to make a major purchase, several hundred dollars, you're probably going to put that on a credit card, right? Uh, Mom's Man Action, Shannon Watts, talked to uh, WISH-TV as well. Said a statement, quote, these new merchant codes will help financial institutions track and crack down on suspicious and potentially illegal gun purchases. Now we need all other banks and credit card companies to follow their lead. How exactly is that going to happen? Again, I've not heard an explanation from a gun control activist like Shana Watts about how (laughs) these new codes are going to help identify potentially illegal sales, uh, which, by the way, if we're going through sales at gun stores, then all those sales have gone through background checks. uh, Straw purchases can happen at a gun store, but you're not going to be able to identify a straw purchase based on a a credit card receipt, right? Uh, It's it's not going to happen. So I'm, I'm, again, I, I am just scratching my head trying to figure out how this is supposed to work from a gun control perspective in terms of fighting crime, in terms of preventing crime. I I don't see it. I see this as a way to, again, chill the exercise of the right to keep and bear arms by not only 
pressuring credit card companies to adopt these new codes. But what happens next, right? Uh, demanding that they, again, have access to peer inside the cart. And then ultimately, to shut down the practice of buying firearms and credit entirely, as we've seen from uh, folks like Representative Carolyn Maloney uh, and other anti-gun Democrats who have uh, raised questions about this practice. Apparently, uh, guns are like the only legal product that you should not be able to buy on credit. Cash up front only. At the same time, these same Democrats are trying to move like the cash-based cannabis industry into the banking sector. They want to try to push the firearms industry and uh, gun owners out. Uh, Curry, the uh, CEO of uh, Premier Arms, says that he has already been hearing from customers. said about half of his sales involve items other than guns or ammunition, like sights, scopes, holsters, other accessories. And as he notes, he says if somebody comes in and spends $10,000 in every holster known to man, then you got to flag somebody who's buying $10,000 worth of firearms. And the answer is yes. Right now, yes. Even within the firearm category, Curry says, there are a lot of potential for error. His inventory includes antique firearms and in some cases predate the Civil War. Those tend to command high prices. Collectors often buy multiple firearms. And Curry said such collectors could unknowingly trigger some sort of action through such purchases. And again, for the gun control activists, this is fine and dandy. It doesn't matter if this leads law enforcement on all these wild goose chases, going after legal gun owners, knocking on their doors, right, without warrants. Hey, just checking, uh, you know, heard through the grapevine that you bought a gun last week. Just wanted to make sure that everything was on the up and up. Do you mind if we see the gun? No, I don't have a warrant, but can we see the gun? Do you mind if we see the gun? I mean, we've already seen some of that happen from the ATF. We are likely to see a lot more of this. Again, not going to be stopping violent criminals, but will be harassing legal gun owners, which to the gun control lobby is not a bug, but a feature, right? So I don't think we've seen the end of this. It may be some time, at least a little bit of time before these new codes are actually implemented. But in the meantime, the gun control lobby is going to continue to push for more, more, more in an attempt, yes, to establish some sort of half-assed backdoor gun registry. I call it half-assed because that's what it would be. This would not be a registry of every gun owner in America. This would be a privately held registry of everybody who used, let's say, a Visa card to go and purchase a firearm. And then Visa would have that list, right? MasterCard would have the list of everybody who used a MasterCard or American Express. But it would not be able to roll up every gun owner or even every new gun owner uh, in the country because, frankly, a lot of Americans who are concerned about their privacy are going to say, you know what? I'll save up, I'll pay cash, I'll borrow some money from my brother-in-law, I'll go uh, get an advance on my next paycheck. One thing is clear, though. The burden on these new laws, particularly if gun control advocates get their way and eventually are able to convince credit card companies, hey, just don't process sales at gun stores. You're better off, you know, if you just, just safer for you because, you know, boy, it'd be a shame if you got sued for... You know, processing the sale of this uh, gun that was later used in a crime, I better just not sell, uh, I better not allow your customers to purchase guns with their credit cards at all. If that happens, then again, the burden is going to fall on those Americans at the lower end of the economic spectrum. Those Americans who, again, don't have cash on hand to pay for a firearm, but still possess the need for self-defense, and most importantly, possess the right to keep and bear arms. So we will be paying close attention to uh, this particular issue in the coming days and weeks because 
uh, as we heard from uh, Mark Oliva and as we've heard from gun control groups, this really is the first step, not the uh, final uh, goal of the uh, gun control regime. All right. Now let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day and our uh, armed citizen story or our recidivist report. Um, we'll start there out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. We talked about this story a uh, week before last. A uh, pizzeria owner shot and killed during a robbery. He was an armed citizen. He did fire back at the robber. Unfortunately, he lost his life. The robber was arrested. And as it turns out, had a lengthy criminal history. It gets worse, apparently, uh, because now we've learned that the man accused of shooting and killing uh, the uh, owner of the uh, Giovanni's Pizzeria, Rosario Zito, uh, was out of jail and on probation when the murder happened. He appeared in court yesterday for violating his probation. Yeah, he's facing murder charges, but he was there for a probation violation hearing. In January, Sylvan Alchapuchus, Alcachupas, excuse me, uh, pleaded guilty to robbing a uh, convenience store at gunpoint in August of 2020. And he got probation. This is amazing. Uh, KRQE in Albuquerque says uh, city leaders said that he should have been held behind bars. Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller says this particular issue has its own background and history, but part of it is somebody who probably should not have been on the streets at that time with a gun. Yeah, well, again, he wasn't legally allowed to possess the gun because he had been convicted of a felony. So he was a prohibited person. So it's not like Sylvan Alcachupas, uh, you know, could have been stopped by universal background checks, during place in New Mexico or a red flag law, which is also in place in New Mexico. No, he's a violent criminal who was convicted of a violent crime, who got a slap on the wrist and was sent on his merry way, and strangely enough, apparently, wasn't concerned about the consequences for committing violent crimes because of his own experience in the criminal justice system. It was not until yesterday that a judge ruled that uh, Alcachupas be held behind bars for violating his probation. Uh, District Court Judge Cindy Mercer saying the uh, court notes that Mr. Alcachupas has two separate allegations of violating his conditions of probation has also picked up serious charges while out on probation. So the court is going to hold him on a no-hold bond, which is great, but completely superfluous because he's already being held without bond for murder. Now, KRQE says, while the plea deal in the gas station robbery was struck with the Valencia County DA's office, the Bernalillo County DA's office previously said that his probation should have been revoked when he was picked up in August by state police. That's right. Yeah, he was picked up in a stolen car while he was on probation, driving a stolen car. Oh, there was heroin in the stolen car when he was picked up while he was on probation. And again, was released on bond. The Bernalillo County DA's office says the stolen car case that came to us should have triggered a probation revocation process because he was already convicted felon in a different uh, district. And uh, it didn't. It didn't. Meanwhile, Democrats in Santa Fe are already prepping for another legislative session chock full of new gun control laws. Are they going to do anything to fix the broken criminal justice system that is allowing violent criminals like Mr. Alcachupas to be released on his own word, even while on probation, even when caught behind the wheel of a stolen car with illegal drugs inside? Are Democrats going to do anything to fix that problem? No. Instead, they're going to focus on the problem of you and me 
and law-abiding residents of New Mexico exercising their constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms in self-defense. Now, today's armed citizen story, Abilene, Texas, where a man held a burglar at gunpoint after catching him trying to uh, steal his son's vehicle. Uh, Like the vast majority of defensive gun uses across the country, this one did not end in shots fired. The presence of the firearm was enough to stop the crime from escalating any further. Craig Campbell arrested at the scene of the burglary around 4 o'clock this morning. An arrest report states that a resident at a home on Waverly Avenue in Abilene heard his dogs barking, so he went outside, found Campbell inside his son's Mustang. He then uh, drew his firearm, held Campbell at gunpoint until police showed up. When interviewed by officers, the report states that Campbell entered the car, admitted he was planning to try to steal it, and uh, he had been drinking. Also, said he might have been interested in buying it. <laughs> I might have stolen it. I might have paid cash for it. Oh, yeah, by the way, I've, I've had a few tonight. Well, I guess he got to uh, sleep off the bender uh, at the uh, local jail. He is uh, currently in the Taylor County Jail uh, without bond, by the way, for what amounts to auto theft. Meanwhile, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, he got caught behind the wheel of a stolen car with heroin. And that's a uh, get out of jail free offense. Today's good deed of the day from San Bernardino, California where a couple of police officers went out on what they thought was a disturbance call, ended up having to uh, rescue a mother and her children from a flash flood. Yeah, how quickly things can change. Uh, So this happened uh, earlier this week. It was, uh, I think it was uh, maybe Monday or Sunday of this week. Um, Officer Tommy Tran and uh, Jonathan Mason showed up as backup for an incident uh, that was, again, described as a, a disturbance. Uh, Gabriel Rodriguez uh, from San Bernardino PD was the first on the scene there. And Rodriguez says, uh, as I'm debriefing the other two officers, we notice the mother and her, child- and her uh, two kids fall into the water and they start washing away. Uh, the water was uh, first ankle deep and then it was knee deep and then it was quickly moving enough to uh, carry the mom and her two children, uh, 186, 114. Officer Mason says the water level is rising, so the next thing we knew, they were being taken away by the water. Uh, so the three officers basically formed a human chain, uh, went into the water, were able to pull mom and both kids to safety. Officer Tommy Tran says that they held on to me as I tried to walk the family back to the other side of the road. Uh, all officers now being called heroes, all three of them, by the way, uh, less than a year on the job in San Bernardino. Tommy Tran says, I never once in the academy did we train for a swift water rescue. But again, in the right place. At the right time, we'll unable to do the right thing. Officers uh, Tommy Tran, Jonathan Mason, Gabriel Rodriguez, we thank you for your very, very good deed. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program. As always, I would encourage you to check out the website, bearingarms.com. Throughout the day, we've got even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about, including a look at... The uh, incredible amount of spending in Philadelphia on violence prevention programs with no clear metric of success, just throwing money away in many cases. Uh, We've got uh, that story and more 
Uh, so I'd encourage you again to check out BearingArms.com. If you like what you see, you can also become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. Uh, all you got to do, go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, analysis, stuff you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thanks again. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But until then, be well. Be safe. Be free.